Welcome to Home of the Brave. I'm Scott Carrier. There's another book besides the Book of Mormon that's a history of the first people to live in North America. But instead of being written on imaginary golden plates, it's written on rock. Petroglyphs pecked into a long sandstone wall running beside the San Juan River in southern Utah. The book, or what I'm calling a book, is comprised of 66 separate panels or chapters written by people who called this place home going back 13,000 years ago. It's an area that was part of President Obama's Bears Ears National Monument and it's still part of President Trump's much smaller Sauce Jaw National Monument. It made the cut because everybody agrees this written history needs to be protected. <clears throat> okay. Let's go down a little bit further. It's a sunny February day in southern Utah. Joe Paycheck and I are walking through dry leaves from the cottonwood trees growing between the river and the wall with the petroglyphs. During high water, water flows over this area. Right where we are now. Yeah. That's right. It's a flat area, floodplain. Yeah, flood Sandy. Yeah, with with cobbles uh, from the river. It used to be part of the riverbed. The wall is more of a running cliff, an escarpment, 80 feet tall, more than a half mile long, the color of a peach, red mixed with tan and gold. Uh, that's the newest rock art. That's Ute rock art. And there were Ute encampments in the 1910s there were Utes living down here in teepees, so... And you think that's when they made those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The 66 panels of petroglyphs are spaced out over the half a mile. Some of the panels are up high, 15 feet above the ground, as over time the river has taken the ground away. And some of the petroglyphs are hard to see or figure out what they are. Strange figures of animals, humans, and spirits sometimes combinations of all three. Uh, there's a human face pecked right there. Oh, yeah. That's a Glen Canyon linear face. That f it looks like Batman, sort of. Yeah, with horns. It's a yeah. uh, oval to round face with horns on it. How old is that? Uh, it's archaic. So it was probably made from 7,000 B.C. to 1,000 B.C. <clears throat> okay. Joe is an artist, uh, a fine artist by training, a sculptor of wood, stone, and concrete. He lives in the small town of Bluff, Utah, just three miles away from the petroglyphs. Every year, he builds a giant totem animal, like a 30-foot-tall heron made from wood and willow branches, and then he burns it down on the winter solstice. Uh, yeah, see, there's plant forms. The whole area is covered with pecking. It's very difficult to see in this light. But there's uh, up higher, there's Chihuahua polychrome style rock art. Uh, a line with um, lines going up and circles at the top of those. They look like suckers stuck in a, a line. Chihuahua polychrome. So it's goes from Mexico up to Wyoming wow. in this area. What year? Wow. Well, that's early um, 
probably early archaic, so 7,000 to uh, 5,000 BC. Wow. Yeah, there's very old rock art here, uh, but there's also older rock art down there. So. I asked Joe to show me the petroglyphs because he's been sketching and studying them for more than 30 years and because he's the guy who found the oldest panel, the first chapter of the book, written 13,000 years ago at the end of the Pleistocene when the people who lived here were hunting mammoths. And you had to make your way down here. It was very difficult. It was 1986, and Joe was in here sketching the petroglyphs, crawling through the tamarisks and Russian olives, climbing the cottonwoods next to the wall to get a closer look at the high panels, and he saw some petroglyphs that seemed to be three Pleistocene bison, one of which had no legs. It has no legs. He was looking at the bison with no legs, and he realized there was a mammoth there as well. And I looked up. And I did see the bison, and I recognized that it was an elephant that I was looking at. The, Not a bison. Well, it was a bison superimposing part of a mammoth. Petroglyphs are notoriously hard to date, but some of the best experts in the field think this is the oldest rock art in America. And there are two tusks and a trunk hanging down, and the trunk is bifurcated like a hand. Mammoths had extended hands on their trunk, uh, much bigger than the African elephant. <clears throat> okay, if you go from there uh, downstream on the panel, um, there are... Three other mammoths. I think that arrangement there was done intentionally as though they were a herd of mammoths in a line. So it's not just one mammoth. No, it's, a herd it's of... four. Two of which show up very well, and two are about, I would say, 50 to 60% obliterated. They're very difficult to see. Um, then there's two female figures up there. I believe they're female. And there is abrasion between their legs. Uh, and a lot of times you'll see that kind of thing uh, that relates to female fertility. Uh, female... Abrasion meaning people have rubbed that part. Yeah, yeah that's right. And intentional uh, ritual behavior is what I would call that. Um, and then there are these odd shapes near the females that are quadrupeds. Their bodies look something like a hot dog, or, um, but their heads have been removed, and there are deep scratched lines coming out of their head as though it's blood or, uh, I don't know, they're trying to indicate that there's something coming out of there so it's abraded that way. Like blood spurting out of their neck. Yeah, yeah maybe, yeah. 
What do you think it was like to live here then? Well, there were mammoths and bison, big bison, like bigger than now. Like yes, bison and tiquis, 10, 12 feet at the shoulder and ground sloth that could be 14 to 15 feet tall, eating massive amounts of vegetation. So they were hunting these animals, or some of them anyway, with stone tools that are like long, six-inch long blades attached to spears. Is that right? And that style is called the Clovis style? Yeah. They could have very easily been attached to atlatl darts and thrown also. And atlatl is like a lever that you throw a spear with. Yeah, it's the or a predecessor dart. of the bow and arrow. What do you think that was like to be a hunter like that? You hunt yeah, now. I hunt. It's, it's important to me. Hunting is one way of knowing nature, getting deeply involved in the cycle of nature. You know, wake up one morning and realize that you really need to go hunting, you know? Uh, it's hunting time. You have that? Oh, yeah. Do you think you could hunt a mammoth? you think you could do it? I'd like to try a smaller animal first. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be tough, you know. Uh, I know that I could kill a mammoth with a compound bow. I know that that's doable. You would have to hit behind the leg, the front leg, uh, in a certain distance to penetrate the rib cage. Once you do that, you're going to hit a vital lung, heart, and the animal will bleed to death. Just, uh, it doesn't take a big hole. But with a spear and an antelope? Oh, boy. I don't have the knowledge for that, you know? And you have to know so many aspects of it, how to hunt that way. You just don't tie a sharp thing to a stick and go for it. Yeah, it's a lot deeper, a lot more complex. And it, this rock art shows us that. You know, they're cutting off the heads and making a line off of the head. If we could wrap our minds around that, that's a subtle detail that is going to be a wow, you know, someday. Like how? What do you mean? Well, it means something, whether it's ritual. Uh, I don't know what it means, but I see it as uh, one of these little bright little clues that we're getting from these people through the rock art. It's also this spiritual stuff going on with their relationship with these animals. They are like a gift of the Creator. It's how they're going to sustain themselves. They're going to pay homage to it. It's homage. Yeah, it's homage. I think this, I think almost all rock art is an homage to what is around you, especially humans, their tools, you know, their way of protection from, uh, from other people. Uh, there's another rock art panel right down here 
that shows Glen Canyon linear archaic people. They're holding fending sticks, curved sticks, plus atlatls. Fending stick? Fending. Is that, that just like a club? No, it's a stick, an S-shaped stick that has dent marks on the inside and outside curves. So the atlatl dart flies relatively slowly and it can be knocked down like a batter hitting a ball. So that gets knocked aside and you've got a game going on, you see, uh, between the thrower and the recipient. Rather deadly. Game. Yeah, very deadly game. Could be. You gotta be quick enough to knock an arrow out of the air that's coming straight at you. Yeah. Right before it hits you. It's not an arrow, it's a dart. A dart. Yeah, it's a from the atlatl. Dart meaning how long? Uh, well, the Australian Aborigines were three meters long, nine feet long. The other ones in the archaic times that have been found are two meters long at the max. Uh, so and they're like spears. Why don't I just call them spears? Well, because they're thrown with the atlatl, okay. so they become a dart. Do you think people were fighting throughout yeah. all the time? Fighting is the rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, intermarriage and fighting. We can't do anything without intermarriage and fighting. What do you mean by intermarriage? Well, um, one cultural group would intermarry with another cultural group uh, rather than fight them, huh. or they would fight them and take their women, and then they would have intermarriage. That's what the record shows here. Yeah. Those people are holding skinned human heads in their hands up there. Oh, really? There are nine skinned human heads across that panel. They have no body. Just the head is being represented. And they're actually showing us that these human heads are connected with serpentine lines through the bodies of the peoples holding them. There's they are not separated, they are joined with the power of the ancestral head or the enemy head that they're holding. Now, it's uh, what humans do. Um, at Chartres Cathedral in Paris, about 20 years ago, there was a crypt that was opened up and there were layers of skinned human heads in the box of people affiliated with the church had their face skinned and put in there after they died. On purpose. On purpose. You know, this is some uh, a Frenchman saying, the person that I watch rule over that church and give divine rights on a daily basis for 80 years died, I want to save his face in that box. So revered. It's what humans do. Yeah, it's what humans do. Some, sometimes they actually tan the hide of the face. That, that's what they did in Mill Creek up near Moab with basket maker heads. They tanned that hide. They tanned the of the face. Of the face of a human being. Several faces. 
well, they made them into a bag and carried around. They carried those human heads without the skull and the eyes, nose, mouth, ears, and the cape of the neck were rolled up and sewn shut. So it was a bag of someone's head that they carried around. A face bag. A face bag, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what humans do. That's what humans do. I'm going to stop here with the image of a purse made from a human face because from here the story should get bloody. This is a story about the battle over public land in southern Utah and in the next episode the white man will show up on the scene. This is the soundtrack from a John Wayne movie about a stagecoach being chased by Indians filmed in Monument Valley, just 30 miles south of the mammoth petroglyphs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>